Welcome to In Clear Terms with AARP California. Conversations on issues impacting Californians of all ages. Here's your host, Theon Gordon. Welcome to In Clear Terms with AARP California. Join us as we dive into issues and policies that impact Californians of all ages, particularly older adults, and learn how you can connect with AARP to make our state more livable for all. I am an AARP volunteer and your host, Dr. Theon Gordon. Today, we are joined by Brian Stewart, co-founder of Electrify Now, a volunteer organization devoted to educating energy consumers and homeowners about the benefits of electrification. Brian has over 30 years of experience in product design, engineering, manufacturing, and sustainability. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks, Theon. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me today. Well, we're excited to have you. And this conversation is particularly timely as Californians currently pay some of the highest electricity rates in the nation. And that is not the only thing going up. By 2030, over a quarter of California's population will be over the age of 60. That means more people are going to be on limited and fixed incomes, challenged by any price increases in something as essential as keeping the power on. So, Brian, why are energy rates getting so expensive? I'm just getting right into the first topic that we want to know about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, it's true that we've been seeing, particularly recently, electricity, natural gas, and gasoline prices increasing. And a lot of that is due to basic commodity costs like the cost of methane, which is natural gas and petroleum that we use in our cars and, and other areas. And also for the need for these infrastructure improvements and upgrades and repairs. I think in California, we've been hearing a lot about you know, wildfire resistance and resilience. All these things add pressure to the cost of our energy. The war in Ukraine, of course, had a big effect as well. We've seen the biggest price increases in natural gas and gasoline, but electricity prices have gone up and they probably will continue to increase in the future. You know, we, we need more energy generation, which adds cost. And as I mentioned, making sure the grid is resilient to wildfires is also going to add cost. But interestingly, you know, the California Public Utility Commission has been doing some studies on this, and they expect that the biggest increases we're going to see in the future are going to come from natural gas and gasoline. And electricity prices will go up, but they're expecting that gas and gasoline will go up twice as fast as electricity costs over the next 10 years. So we're going to see more cost increases, but it's not equal. You know, each energy source is going to be a little bit different. So it sounds like the energy rates are going to keep going up because of a myriad of things. So we're happy that AARP is still advocating to keep utility companies in check. And you can learn more about that at aarp.org forward slash California. Let's talk about some of the programs that maybe can help. At AARP, there's a new educational program called Power Your Savings with AARP California, and that provides some resources on utility savings. I think, Brian, you were one of the first guests on that program. And you shared really good news on there, talking about some of the different things that were going on. In particular, you talked about some of the federal and state savings programs and resources that might be available for energy efficient upgrades. Can you share some of those benefits and talk about some of that? So basically, it's true that the best way to save money on energy is to use less of it. 
And I don't mean turning down the thermostat and that sort of thing because people don't like to do that. I'm talking about really this whole new generation of appliances and equipment that offers the same kinds of comfort and convenience that we're used to, but uses just dramatically less energy. And then, of course, insulation and weatherizing our homes is another way to reduce energy use, particularly for older homes. And so basically what's happening is that the state and federal government are seeing the tremendous advantages to individuals and to society that come from, you know, adopting these energy saving solutions. And so they're providing really significant incentives to help us take advantage of them by lowering the cost to adopt them in our homes. And so we had this webinar that you mentioned, the Power Your Savings webinar. And basically in that show, we were outlining the appliances and technologies that a lot of people are still unfamiliar with. It's not that they're brand new, but, you know, they aren't the things we grew up with. And we showed how these could make our homes healthier and more comfortable, which is really important, but also lower our energy bills and lower our carbon emissions. So there's lots of reasons to be excited about these upgrades. And we tend to kind of call these upgrades or refer to them collectively as electrification or home electrification or, you know, so you hear these words like go electric or electrify your home. And, and the reason is because the, the most energy efficient devices that we're talking about here are electric. And so you hear that term, I'll be using it today, but you hear it more often in the press and stuff. That's the idea of electrification. So electrification, let's talk about it. And your organization is Electrify Now, right? Yes. So tell us a little bit about Electrify Now and what this electrification means. My wife and I started Electrify Now because we felt like there was just this need for people like you and I to have more information about these amazing solutions that are available to us today. But as I mentioned before, a little bit unfamiliar. So, And they're important for all these reasons to make our homes healthier, to make us healthier, to use less energy and save money on that, and also to help you know reduce our carbon emissions. So we started this just as a volunteer organization because we were excited about these options that didn't seem to be getting a lot of publicity. I think it's, that was five years ago or so. So it's changed a lot now, and there's a lot more news about it in the press. You, you may be seeing articles from New York Times or whatever news source you read about these devices, but Still, I think there's a need to just make it more clear to people the amazing options we have now. And so for our homes, the two biggest ones, the two biggest energy consumers in our homes are our furnaces or baseboard heating. So space heating, that's one way we keep our rooms the right temperature. And then heating our water. Those are the two big ones. And now the most energy efficient way that we can heat our homes and our water is with heat pumps. Many people don't really understand what heat pumps are, and I don't expect anyone out there to really understand the technology. That's not that critical. But I think it's also true that we've had these devices in our lives forever. Heat pumps have been around for hundreds of years. A refrigerator is a heat pump, for example, and it basically moves heat from one place to another. So you probably don't notice it, but there's tiny pumps and motors in there that are moving the heat from inside the refrigerator to your kitchen. So your kitchen gets slightly warmer, but inside your refrigerator, it's really cold. You're even making ice. So that's why these devices are so exciting is because they are really energy efficient ways to move heat from one place to another. And so, for example, for heating your water, it's basically like a refrigerator in reverse. Maybe you have this heat pump water heater in your basement or in your garage or in a utility room, and that room gets slightly cooler but the water can be 130 degrees or even higher inside the tank. And it's super efficient, like three to five times more efficient than any other device. 
had never thought about the refrigerator as a heat pump. That's absolutely what it is. So thank you for explaining that clearer. That's the type of thing we'd like to get in clear terms on our show. But continue, please tell me some more. Well, these same kind of little devices, these heat pumps can be used to heat our homes. Most people are probably familiar with air conditioners. Those are heat pumps. When we talk about heat pumps for our homes, though, for our space heating, we're really imagine an air conditioner that can work two ways. It can work in, to cool your home like an air conditioner does, or you literally operate it in reverse, and now it's heating your home. And that's what a heat pump does. It's fantastic because it provides heating and cooling with one device rather than having to have two. Like many homes, for instance, will have a gas furnace and an air conditioner. Now you have one thing, it's called a heat pump that does the heating and the cooling. And it's the most energy efficient way to heat our homes. So, you know, a lot of older homes may have baseboard electric heating. I don't know, maybe some of our audience has that in their homes. And that can be quite expensive way to heat your home. And a heat pump will save you hundreds of dollars a year compared to an electric baseboard. Or maybe you've got an older gas furnace, usually furnaces that are you know, older than 15 years or something like that, or not operating super efficiently. So you'll see some savings from going to a heat pump there. And again, you'll have the advantage of having air conditioning, which I think is becoming more and more important for a lot of people as the temperatures get warmer. Now, is this heat pump in the form of central air or is it something that has to be installed? What is it? Right. Well, if you have a home with ducts for heating, so basically you've got vents in your floor maybe that blow the warm air in or, or cool air if you've got central air conditioning, then the heat pump would basically replace that equipment and still blow warm air or cool air through your existing ducts. So it's kind of like, imagine taking your furnace out, taking your air conditioner off and replacing it with a heat pump system. And you'll still, you have this outside unit, like an outside air conditioner, that's basically harvesting the energy from outside and then an inside unit that's blowing the warm or cool air through your home. So that's a, a central system. If you have electric baseboard heat, you don't have those ducts in your home, those, you know, the ducting, and it's expensive to add ducting. So for that, in that situation, you'd use what's called ductless heat pumps or mini splits they are often referred to. And basically you have the same unit outside that's kind of harvesting that energy from outside your home. But instead of blowing air through ducts, you have these units that are called wall heads. They can be up high on the wall or low on the wall that basically are blowing warm or cool air into each room. So you need one in, in each of your big rooms. And sometimes there's a combination of those systems that are used, but those are the two basic varieties of heat pumps. And the, so basically there's a solution for any existing home. That's great. And the mini splits that you're talking about, the ones that go up on the wall is interesting. I've traveled out of the country and I've seen those. I remember the first time I saw one, I was actually in Ghana, Africa. And I said, what is that thing up there on the wall? And it was actually their heating and air system. And I had never seen it. I thought it was really, really an interesting way of bringing in heat and air, but it really was like a space heater and the air went throughout the entire space it didn't just stay in one room. It actually did circulate the way the vents worked on that mini split. Yeah. I love it that you mentioned that because, you know, these things are a little bit unfamiliar to us here in the United States, but in many countries, this is the way you heat and we've, and they've been doing it for, for years. Japan is like that, for example, 
lots of countries in, in Europe use these technologies and have been for decades, but they're still a little bit <laughs> new to us here. Absolutely. Now, the other thing you mentioned was the hot water heaters or the furnaces that take up, for example, the hot water. I know the hot water heaters are usually pretty large. And recently I mentioned I was building, I'm building a little unit myself. And the contractor mentioned to me a tankless water heater that would circulate and work with electricity. Do you know anything about that? And how do you reduce the cost of something like those furnaces and hot water heaters? Yeah. So tankless hot water heating is a pretty common way to heat water now. And it comes in two varieties. There are electric versions, which are less common because that can take a lot of energy, the the electric resistance tankless systems. And basically they're this little box that water runs through and heats the water really quickly. And so it's really only heating when you need it. And of course, there's gas versions of those as well. And those have been, the gas version particularly have been kind of the considered to be the most energy efficient way to heat water for a long time. But these heat pump water heaters that we're talking about are way more energy efficient, like three times more energy efficient than that. So the heat pumps that we're talking about look more like a standard tank water heater. If you looked at them, you wouldn't see a big difference. They might be a little bit taller in some cases because they've got a the heat pump device literally is sitting on top of the tank. But the way they work is that they are kind of sucking air in from the environment. So they have a, a fan on them that blows air through the top part of the unit. And so the warm air from wherever it is comes in and it cools the air slightly. And as I mentioned, that kind of heats this what's called a refrigerant, and then it gets highly pressurized, which makes it really hot to heat the tank underneath. And so that's why these devices, you put them in rooms that you're not living in, which is usually where water heaters are anyway, because they're going to cool the space a little bit, but they're incredibly energy efficient. Like there's nothing else even close. And and because of that high energy efficiency, most homes are going to see savings of 100 to as much as $300 a year in energy bills just because this device is so much more energy efficient. Particularly if you have an electric resistance water heater, you'll see huge savings. But even a gas water heater or a tankless one, you're going to see hundreds of dollars of cost reduction. Okay, great. So we've talked about these different areas of the house. What are some more ways we can save in the kitchen? Great. Yeah. So the kitchen is where the real savings are from the health benefits. The real impact to us is from health benefits in the kitchen. Not so much your pocketbook, but more about your health. And I think a lot of people have been seeing in the news this articles about the dangerous health impacts of gas stoves. And the story there basically is that burning methane, which is what natural gas is, when you burn it, there's all these byproducts of combustion. So there's fine particulates that are generated. There's nitrous oxides that are generated. There's even things like carcinogens like benzene and formaldehyde that are released during that process that all leak into our homes. And of course, if you have a good ventilation system in your home, that's going to help reduce those and you should always use it if you have it. But studies show that even big hoods don't completely eliminate these dangerous chemicals and fine particulates from our homes when we cook. And this happens fast. I mean, in the time to cook an egg, for example, you can get levels of indoor air pollution that would be illegal if it was happening outside. And the health impacts of this are not insignificant. So for example, the American Medical Association has said recently that children that live in a home with a gas stove are 42% 
more likely to develop asthma. 42%, that's a really shocking statistic. So, you know, we've known this for a long time, but the information is getting better and better all the time about how dangerous these products are. And I would have to say, being kind of like a gas cooking snob myself for a long time, that it was like, oh, that's bad news because cooking with gas has been sort of our, it's been the premium solution. It's been the, you know, a lot of people consider it the best way to cook. But now we have a, a much better alternative. So it's obviously terrible to get this news about the health effects, but the good news is that there's a solution that's available today that's better anyway, and that's induction cooking. And anyone who's experienced, I'm sure some people in the audience have an induction range, and I think they would agree with me that anyone's cooked on induction would never go back to gas or any other way of cooking because it's just better. They heat faster. So boiling water, for example, twice as fast or anything, it's twice as fast to heat. But they also have really precise temperature control. So when you turn the heat off, for example, the heat basically goes to zero. So if you, you know, everyone I think has experienced this where you're cooking an egg or something and it gets too hot or your pancakes are burning and you turn the heat down, but the pan's still really hot, the, the stove's really hot and it takes a long time for it to cool down. With induction, it cools down almost instantly. So you have better temperature control. And then I think one of the things like for me, maybe the thing that was a game changer is that, you know, I remember cooking pancakes where you spill the pancake batter on your gas stove and it's a disaster, right? I mean, it's going to take you <laughs> a long time to clean up that mess. But with induction, it's literally a sheet of glass that you wipe down. And that makes it safer because the surface doesn't get hot. There's nothing to catch fire. Like I've caught dish rags on fire when moving. I think everyone's done that at one point if you have a gas stove. So basically, they're safer, they're faster, they more control, they're easier to clean. It's just a better product, and it doesn't have any of these health issues that we were just talking about with gas. So, you know, in the kitchen, it's less about saving money. It's more about having a safer, healthier home. And also, if you like to cook, I think you're going to really appreciate just how much better these devices are. Well, I'm so glad you talked about the induction ovens. I have been looking at those uh, of stoves and I was a little afraid because I like fire. So that's a great pointer for our consumers to take a look at and our listeners to take a look at. Now, I understand that there's, I know that those are the health benefits and we all appreciate health benefits, especially as we're aging. But we also like our pocketbook incentives as well. And I understand that you can access a tax credit to cover up to 30% of upgrade costs and things like that. What are some of the other household benefits financially when we start looking at electrifying or changing the way we normally spend in our utility area? This is a great time to be having this conversation because with the Inflation Reduction Act that passed last year that a lot of people, you know, they kind of know about, but maybe don't know the details. There's a lot of incentives in there that are available to us to help reduce the cost of these things. And then in California, and we'll talk more about that in a minute, but in California, there's also these local incentives because California has some of the most aggressive plans to move away from fossil fuels in the state completely. And so they've got really aggressive plans about making the electricity 100% renewable and about basically moving away from these devices that we know cause air pollution and cause carbon pollution. So there, for example, water heaters, which we talked about earlier, the federal incentives are up to 30% of the installation cost, which is capped at $2,000. So you could get a tax credit for up to $2,000 for installing a new heat pump water heater. 
And on top of that, you can get hundreds to, in some cases, thousands of dollars additional in terms of rebates and incentives from local utilities and state programs in California. There's a great website called The Switch Is On that I'm a big fan of. It's literally called The Switch Is On. Google that, you'll, you'll find it. There's a real good incentive finder, which will tell you, you know, you, you basically put in your zip code where you live and it will tell you the incentives are available to you for all these devices that we're talking about. There's rebates on induction stoves and a lot of rebates and incentives for heat pumps for space heating. So there's literally thousands of dollars available to us to lower the cost of adopting these technologies in our homes. That's fantastic. Now, what if you're a renter and unable to make some of the changes to your home? Are these resources or appliances you can take advantage of, or are there any that you can take advantage of to save on their energy bill? Yeah, it's a good question because, you know, I think it's fair to say if you're renting, you know, you don't own the property, right? You don't own the water here. You don't own. So what can you do? I would start by saying it's completely reasonable. And if you approach this in a non-confrontational way to have a conversation with your landlord about adopting these things because there are incentives for landlords to adopt these technologies also. So I would say, first of all, have that conversation with your landlord. Hey, you know, I'd really love to get a new induction stove. What do you think about taking advantage of the incentives to get one here in, in our home? So that's one thing. But there are also things, little kind of workarounds you can do on your own. So for example, for induction stoves, Let's say you live in an apartment or a home that you're renting that has a gas stove. You can purchase what's called an induction hot plate, and they're very modestly priced. I mean, they started around $60, and they go up to as much as $200 for a, a double, you know, a two-burner one. But the single burner, let's just call it, it's not really a burner, but a single, you know, a hot plate for one pan is going to be $60 to $100 and induction. You literally plug it into a plug on your countertop. It's really small. A lot of people put them right on top of their gas stoves and just cook on the induction hot plate instead of the gas stove. And so basically what you're doing there, there's two things I love about that. If you're contemplating, even if you're a homeowner and you're thinking about induction and you just want to try it out, this is a great way to try it out for relatively low cost. But if you're a, a renter, basically it means you you can use this hot plate instead of your stove the majority of the time. Because if you think about it, a lot of the time we're just using one burner on our stoves anyway. So now you can just be using this instead. And that will greatly reduce the amount of gas you're using and, and, and all those pollutants we talked about getting into your home. So that's one exciting thing that rent, renters can do. The other thing that I'm a big fan of, and they work great in California climate, is what's called a portable heat pump. There are sort of two versions of them. One of them look like window air conditioners. We're all familiar with those. And, you know, basically it, it sits in your window and the heat pump versions of the, they look exactly the same, but they operate both directions. So instead of just being an air conditioner, it also can provide heat. And you can dramatically reduce the amount of baseboard heating, electric heating you're using or gas heating you're using in your home by using one of these devices. And they also are in some, some places like apartments, oftentimes it's not legal to put those in. If it's a high rise apartment, sometimes they have laws against that. But so the other option are called portable heat pumps, which look more like big suitcases on wheels. And, and those have hoses that go out through the window. But either of these devices will provide you air conditioning, which is great and heating and uh, let you to use less of your um, central system if you want to move away from that. 
Wow. Both of those sound like uh, great options, and I'm, I'm glad there are good options for our renters. Thank you so much for that, Brian. These are great ways to save. For, for our homeowners, where should they start if they want to take action and make some of these changes? That's a great question, because I know, you know, we're covering a lot of territory and it, and it can feel confusing and daunting and overwhelming, I think, particularly if you've got an older home, maybe that, that needs a lot of these upgrades. So I'm a really big fan of what's called a home energy audit. And basically that's where you, and again, this switches on website has uh, resources available for somebody you can contract to come into your home and basically look at all your systems, all your heating systems, your water heating, your insulation levels. They'll look at your windows and doors and they'll give you really good information about what you should consider in terms of home upgrades for your home. They'll give you a rough idea about how much each of these things will cost. Most of them are going to be really familiar with the incentives that are available, so they can help you with that as well. And all of this is like information that helps you to decide what you want to do first, or maybe you don't need to do very much, or maybe there's several things and, you know, they'll give you some idea about what order it might make sense to do these things in, because most people aren't going to do all these things at once. And then the other thing I'd say is that, you know, if you've got older appliances, like if you've got a water heater that's older than about eight or 10 years old, a furnace that's older than 15, 12 or 15 years old, those devices are getting towards the very end of their useful life. They're probably not operating very effectively. They're going to probably need to be replaced. So that's another good way to start if you're just like wanting to just look at what you've got and maybe make some quick changes that way. But I'm a big fan of those energy audits. So an energy audit, and you can find different people that can do that at the switches on. Is it the switches on.com? Yes, it is. And they have a resource finder, contractor kind of incentive database. All these things are there. And I think they might call them energy advisors on the switches on. I'm not sure, but they definitely have a list of people that can come to your home to do that work for you. And, and there's also, um, by the way, there's the federal IRA incentives also include a incentive for the home energy audit that will help reduce the cost of that. They're typically not that expensive, 450, maybe 500 bucks to do it, maybe at the high end, maybe less than that. But you can get an incentive up, I think it's $150 off that price as part of your tax credits also. That's great. So I just looked it up. It's switchison.org switchison.org, O-R-G. So let's make sure our listeners know it's switchison.org. I do see something on here that says finding contractors. And I'm guessing usually if it's a .org, it's a nonprofit. We've been learning about that on our frauds and scams session that we had. Many times we want to look for that. And if they're a nonprofit, I'm guessing the contractors that they have, that they're actually vetting through the contractors. Our listeners can have some concern in terms of coming out to get an energy audit is someone coming just so they can tell you, yeah, you need to change everything. And the next thing you know, you're caught up into restructuring your whole house and not realizing you're doing it. So. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great point. And yes, the Switches On is a nonprofit that gets a lot of government involvement as well in the state of California. So there's a lot of oversight there and a careful vetting process for their contractors that are on that list. So I feel that's a really good, safe place to go to get good information for homeowners. Yes. Wonderful. And there's also always AARP 
org forward slash CA to look for these wonderful incentives and advocacy around utilities and the rising cost. So Brian, now I want to switch and pivot a little to electric vehicles. That is the new thing, the new craze. Is there a cost savings for consumers with electric vehicles and are there federal or state incentives as well? Absolutely. In California, I mean, everywhere in the United States, it's true that an EV is going to save you money over, you know, the five years of owning it. But in California, that's especially true because gasoline is so expensive in California. Gasoline prices in California are higher than anywhere else in the country. So the reason why that makes a, a difference is because EVs are so energy efficient that you can literally go about three times farther for a dollar worth of fuel with an electric vehicle than you can with a gasoline car. So for example, and I've done this comparison lots of times because there are some cars like Hyundai, for example, makes a a really nice small SUV that they make a gas version of it and an electric version of the same car. So you get real apples to apples comparison there. But for example, that car can go about 50 miles for $10 worth of gasoline, but the same version, the EV version of that car can go 150 miles for $10 worth of electricity. So three times farther. And so when you add that up over many miles, and this is especially true if you drive a considerable amount, it can save you hundreds, if not even thousands of dollars per year in terms of your fuel costs. And on top of that, EVs require virtually no maintenance. I think all of us have grown up with cars and dread taking it to the shop because you know they're going to tell you that you need some new thing or even just a tune-up is, can be really expensive. But EVs don't have engine tune-ups. They don't need oil changes. They don't have all drivetrain issues that oftentimes can cost hundreds of dollars if you need a new transmission or something like that, thousands of dollars even. So there's virtually no maintenance. You need windshield wipers and tires. That's really it because there aren't things that need to be tuned up with an EV. So that's another cost savings. So Operating an EV is way less expensive than operating a gas car, but still when you go to purchase one of these, the sticker price can be kind of scary because they tend to be more expensive up front. And so, for example, that same comparison we were just talking about with that Hyundai car, it's about $10,000 more for the EV version. And I think that's pretty true across the board that for the most part, EVs are somewhere between five and $10,000 more than a comparable gas version of that car. That difference is coming down, but that's currently the way it is. And that's why these incentives are so important. So the, the federal incentives are now $7,500 in tax credits for an EV. And most EVs are going to qualify for that. Not all of them. And that's a complicated story, but you can find information about that. And if you lease one, that will make sure you get to able, are able to take advantage of that $7,500. And then California has another $2,000 rebate available. So that's close to $10,000 off. So now that's making the sticker prices pretty close to the same. So when you add up that, you know, roughly a comparable price to buy it and thousands of dollars in savings over the life of the car from operating it, it's a really good deal. Like I think on average, you can save five years, you're going to save over $5,000 by replacing a gas car with an EV in California. Well, that's a great savings and and a great comparison. So thank you for that. Now, the only thing that I probably think some of our listeners are thinking is, do we have the infrastructure in place to power all of this? We 
saw what happened in Texas a few years ago when the Texas power grid failed 2021 because of extreme weather conditions. Can California truly go electric and support all of its consumers? California is one of the fastest growing states. It's a legitimate thing to be concerned about. And, you know, I'm certainly not going to make promises about anything because, you know, all of us have seen some of these crazy weather events and stuff that really kind of changed everything. But, but I think the fundamental question about if the grid can have enough energy in it to, to basically power all these devices we're talking about is a good question. And so let's start with home, the home parts of it first. We'll talk about EVs second. But for our homes, switching to heat pumps and heat pump water heaters and getting rid of gas in our homes, that transition is a pretty modest increase in load for the grid that's going to happen very gradually. And there's actually some savings to be had there as well. So for example, when a home that has electric resistance heating, baseboard heating or an electric resistance water heater transitions to heat pump water heaters and heat pumps for space heating, that home's going to use way less electricity. And then there's, you know, the neighbor, let's say next door, that's using gas and is switching to electricity. They're going to use more electricity. But those two things balancing each other out to some degree, not completely, but there's a savings that we can have through energy efficiency with our, a lot of our older homes in particular that can be used, that savings can be used to power, you know, homes that are currently on gas. So that helps offset this additions that we need. And also this transition away from fossil fuels heating towards electric heating is going to happen really gradually. It doesn't happen overnight. I mean, it's going to take probably the fastest possible would be maybe 15 or 20 years. So that means that the grid has to get a little bit bigger every year. It's a gradual incremental increase. And this is something the electric utilities are really good at. They've been doing it forever. They plan ahead. They can have a really good idea about what they're going to need in the future. And they, they can plan for that growth. So I think heating in our homes, that's really not going to really stress the grid out in a major way. The vehicle load is a different story because, you know, now you're talking about a whole new load that we've never had on the grid before, you know, switching from gas vehicles to electric vehicles. And so the electric utilities know this is a big additional load that's coming and they're, they've been working on this for some time already. But what that means is that there's new generation that we need. And for the most part, that new generation is all coming from renewable energy. It's coming from things like wind and solar for the most part, which means our grid is getting cleaner, which is good. So it is an additional load, but I'd say there's also some real interesting advantages that come from having a lot of electric vehicles that are attached to the grid. And this gets a little bit wonky, but basically think about it this way. Say you have your electric car parked in your driveway and it's connected to your house which is what you do, you know, every day you, after you're driving, you come and you plug it in. That's this giant battery that's sitting in your driveway. So if the power goes out, you can literally power your home with the battery in your car. Now, this is sort of a relatively new thing. Not all cars are able to do this, but you, maybe you've been seeing those ads for the Ford Lightning. That truck can power a home for almost a week because it's got so much energy in the battery sitting there. So that means that we have this additional way for our electric grid to be resilient because these cars are storage devices that can be called upon when we have a peak energy event or maybe something goes down somewhere. So I think it's really exciting, the future that we're seeing where these electric devices, yes, they take more energy, but there are, many of them are also able to give energy back when we need it. 
which will make our grid more resilient and less likely to have problems with outages, et cetera. So super exciting. And then I guess the, the last thing I'd say, you know, about this, because I know a lot of people have this question, is that this country has really done a lot of big infrastructure projects. Think about it. The railroads are maybe one of the first ones that were, happened before our time. But, you know, our highways, think about it. Those didn't exist. We're still building new roads. The Internet, all these things are huge infrastructure projects that have happened in the past, are still happening and we can do this because the benefits that we've talked about, when you add up all these savings at the individual level, all across all of our homes, you're talking about billions of dollars of energy savings every year. So the advantages are just too good to, to pass up, which is why I know this may sound like a big project to add this elect, extra electric load, but it's totally doable. Well, it does sound like a big project. And you're right. We've taken on some things that are, are much larger. Who would have ever thought 20 years ago that the Internet would be the way it is now? Not even 20 years, I, I guess 25 yeah, years yeah, ago. Yeah. I know we think of those things as being like normal now, but it wasn't that long ago when we didn't have them. It yeah. wasn't that long ago that we were on wired phones. And so we have done a lot. What do you think the future of electricity is when it comes to savings? At the very beginning, mostly we've been talking about the savings that are available today with the current electricity and gasoline and natural gas prices. So, you know, I've been, you know, mentioning that all these devices are going to save you some money today. But as I mentioned at the beginning, the California Public Utility Commission estimates that gasoline and natural gas prices are going to go up twice as fast as electricity. So what that means is that we can save money by doing these things now, but in the future, in a very short period of time, most likely, the savings are going to be even more dramatic. So potentially even twice what they are now. So I said you could save something like five to $8,000 over five years with an EV. Imagine if that goes to ten to $16,000. That's what we're talking about. So I think there's a, a lot of reasons to be optimistic that doing these things now is going to put you in really good shape for the future price increases we're going to see with gas and gasoline. But the other thing I say is don't, don't wait, you know, because these incentives are available today. So I, I feel like with the picture that we're getting on our energy prices, it's a great time for us to be thinking about making this transition, which will put us in really good shape for the future. Well, thank you for that. It's great to hear something like that, especially for those of us little set in our ways, like I'm never giving up fire. <laughs> I'm going to keep cooking with fire. Or we can be set in our ways of driving as well. And I know I am definitely one of those people who has not been a big proponent of the electric vehicle. I'm like, oh, gas is going to be here forever. Even as the gas prices increase, I'm like, well, let's be thankful we could pay for it. Uh, okay, it's time yeah. for us to start thinking a little differently. So, Brian, I just want to thank you again for coming on the show today. And I just want to ask you, in your opinion, what are some of the other benefits outside of lowering your energy, our health benefits that you mentioned, and saving money when it comes to electrifying your home and your lifestyle? Yeah. So, you know, we, so far we've really been emphasizing the, the positive impacts to your pocketbook from doing these upgrades, which is really important. But there's other really important benefits to society that come along with us making these changes. So when we move away from fossil fuels, burning that in our home for gas furnaces and gas cars and move to heat pumps and EVs, one of the things that happens is that we will dramatically reduce air pollution. 
So if you think, think about this for a minute, where does air pollution come from? I mean, our cars are one of the major sources. Our furnaces and our water heaters are also a major source. That's one of the reasons why California is planning to eliminate the sales of those devices by 2030. So you won't be able to buy a, a gas furnace or gas water heater in California by 2030. And the reason that they're doing that, is, one of the big reasons is because of the air pollution that comes from those devices. So think about it. This transition means cleaner air, and that has huge benefits in terms of healthcare costs because air pollution is one of the leading causes of disease all over the world from respiratory diseases, heart disease, even things that are neurological. So all this comes, you know, it's, we save money, but we have better health for everyone, which I think is really great. And then the other big benefit of this transition is from the carbon emission reductions that come along with this. And of course, you know, it's pretty hard to avoid the news about this, but burning fossil fuels is really the reason we have this climate change problem. And renewable energy and wind and solar are now really low cost. So there's all this excitement about these new ways of getting energy. And so when we adopt these electric devices in our lives, it's helping the whole system to move to a cleaner, more sustainable future, which means that, you know, we're you know, having these savings that we can feel immediately, but also means that we're ensuring that we're creating a better future for our children and our grandchildren. So I think there's a lot of reasons to be excited about this transition that's happening. It can, it can sound confusing and complicated, but it's really has multiple benefits beyond just the ones that we feel immediately in terms of the economic savings. Well, that's great. The environment is a very important part of who we are. And so being able to contribute towards making it a better place for the future and for now, of course, is a great incentive for our listeners. If you could leave our listeners with one soundbite, what would that be? Well, I'd say, first of all, I hope um, our audience gets a little bit better idea now about why going electric is a good thing. So my one soundbite would be to plan ahead. And don't wait till something breaks in your home to do this. That's often the worst time to do these things is when you're in a crisis situation. Like your water heater breaks, and you got family coming over for the weekend or something. You're in a really bad place. So don't wait for things to break. Don't wait for your car to need a major service like a transmission you know, upgrade. Don't wait. That's the worst time to do it. Plan ahead. I mentioned the energy audit. That's a good place to start. But if you've got a pretty good idea about what you want to do, you don't need to do it all at once. But, you know, you can start doing these things and work on the things that are most important to you. But make a plan. Don't don't wait for something to, to fail to start electrifying your life. All right. So plan ahead. That sounds like a great <laughs> tip to me. <laughs> Brian, thank you for joining us on In Clear Terms with AARP California. Again, we have had the pleasure of speaking with Brian Stewart, co-founder of Electrify Now, about utility savings through electrification. In future episodes, we look forward to hosting experts who can shed light on critical issues in our state, how AARP California is working to ensure the voice of those ages 50 plus is heard, and how you, our listeners, can learn more and act on these important decisions. Thank you for listening.